on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We talk about Colin Cowherd's new OU obsession and give you the top things we are looking for in OU spring game. And we finish up giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hostie, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, April 20th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Riverwind will be featuring live music and local food trucks every month starting in May for the Beats and Bites Festival. Performers include the Randy Rogers Band and Scotty McCreary. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Ted, playing a road game. I'm in Charleston, <laughs> South Carolina, and we are at the mercy of the Wi-Fi gods. Well, it's always a dangerous game, leaving it up to the gods, but um, I think it will be okay. Road games are good, right? How, uh, how bad could it go? You know, well, what, I could what, go really bad. Yeah, no, great point. Great point. I, <laughs> I, I do need to get a few things out of the way before we jump into the OU football stuff. Uh, first, we did an interview with Delaren Turner Yell. Yeah, the Miami Dolphins are not in the AFC South. That was my bad. <laughs> I was thinking of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Got, got, and what makes it worse is I played in the AFC East. Well, I didn't really play, I stood and watched on the sideline. In the AFC East and in the AFC South, you know, being on the roster for the Titans and the Bills, you would think I'd know who's who's in those divisions. Yeah, hey, even Bishop McGinnis's finest get things mixed up every now and then. It, hey, hey uh, like I told you on text message, you sold it well because I didn't even say anything or notice. Okay, yeah, and your Patriots so. are in the AFC East. You I know. didn't say anything. You just let me look like a fool. Hey, I played like, in the AFC East too, and I played for Jacksonville. So we're, we're I'm in the same boat as you. Hey, I will say this: a lot of, a lot of podcasts would have edited that out. Not this mm-hmm. one. I nope. I embrace the blunder. Own it. <laughs> it's all you I, can uh, do. And yeah. Uh, so that that's on kind of a lighter note. On a more serious note, 
Yesterday was the 27th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, always a somber and emotional day uh, here in the state of Oklahoma. I, I just want to encourage anyone that hasn't visited the memorial to do so because it's a, it's, a, it's a really cool experience. So just wanted to remind everyone, I, I know that, that that day is extremely important around the state, but just remind everyone to go Go take in the memorial if you have not done so already. Yeah, it's awesome up there. It's crazy. 27 years, man. It's, it's wild um, how that's flown by. Sometimes it obviously feels like it was that long ago, but other times, man, like whenever you think about it, it brings back vivid memories of that day, right? That is my earliest memory. My earliest memories being at Villa Teresa when that bomb went off. And we were out on the playground. I was on the monkey bars. I fell off. Still remember oh, it. Dang. Yeah. You were close then. Yeah. We, uh, A we couple were, blocks away. Yeah. We were pretty damn close. So it's, uh, yeah, that is, I, I know it's a tough day for a lot of people. So um, hope that anyone, and there's so many people affected by that day, but anyone that, you know, lost a loved one in that, uh, in that tragedy, hope they could, you know, find peace uh, on that day. It's got to be got to be rough even though it's been 27 years now you're right man can't believe it's been that long not an easy transition but let's talk some OU football shall we let's do it and I've gone back and forth with this because we we try to we try to stay focused (laughs) on this podcast we try to you know we we try to bring the the meat and potatoes right and kind of kind of tried to s- stay away from, you know, some of the, some of the muck, but I'm taking the bait. Uh, I'm taking the bait. I just, I have to, because we got so many tweets about people wanting to hear your reaction specifically to this. <laughs> so when we hear from listeners like that, when they let us know, they want us to talk about something, guess what? We're going to talk about it. So Colin Cowherd. He has a newly found obsession with Oklahoma football and poking fun at Oklahoma football, uh, trying, to, trying to get a reaction out of Oklahoma football fans. And here is the latest installment of his new obsession. He put a tweet out there that said, feel bad for OU football. USC going to need about 18 months and they'll be flying past them, around them, over them. This recruiting class will be otherworldly. Best offensive head coach in college football with these weapons. Can't quit smiling. Teddy, the people want to hear from you, man. So I'm just going to, what, what the hell is happening? Why, why is he doing this? I know why he's doing it, because it creates an incredible amount of engagement, and that's what he's after, but this he he used to be like the gold standard of radio for me like i loved him when he was on espn radio i loved his show it, it was fantastic and now he's doing this i mean it's just what is happening i don't know i don't understand it um i think i think part of it is him just having a little fun knowing that he's going to get a rise out of ou fans but the other part of it is like is it really that slow? Is it, I mean, you are on a national 
show, like your your radio show is broadcast broadcast nationally. Uh, you have all the guests in the world at your disposal, anyone pretty much that you want to talk to in all of sports, and you want to try and drag OU, which, you know, I really don't mind it. I think it's actually fine because um, it, it's, it's getting more people engaged in what's happening at OU and at USC. I, I think that's fine. I think Oklahoma has nothing to do with USC. That's the most interesting thing about it. I, if you just eliminated the I feel bad for OU football from the tweet, everything else is is really fine. He's talking up USC, which, you know, I I would maybe, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on how good he's feeling about USC, but it has nothing to do with Oklahoma. USC's success or lack of success isn't going to affect OU at all. We recruit the majority of our players from a different area than USC. We typically, unless, you know, it's some type of postseason, aren't going to meet up with them in the regular season. It's really, it, it's really a, it comes across as a pathetic way of trying to get some attention for your show and your social media which is so weird considering the guy has like over a million Twitter followers and gets zero interaction on anything that he puts out. It's, it's strange. I don't know. And I don't know why he's, he's going at OU because I can assure you, OU and USC are in different stratospheres right now as far as football programs. It's not even close. You and I, we have, we have friends on that USC staff, right? We, we've talked. We've talked on here about, you know, hoping that they lose a lot of games, but that they play really well on defense. Like we, sure. we have not, we have not hidden the fact about how we feel. And, you know, when it comes to our hopes for USC football, but I, I don't think a lot of people that like, haven't been out to one of their practices realize like they got a long way to go roster wise, a long way, especially like defensive line and offensive line. And that's, that's why this tweet from Cowherd so funny to me is like being better than OU, like that should be the standard for USC football. Right. It's, it, I, I don't think Brent Venables or anyone within OU's football program is going, you know what? We just, we got to be better than USC. That it's like, no, the, the goal is, to be the best in the country. Like if you're at a program, if you're at a program like USC or a program at like Oklahoma, it's like, we want to be the best. I mean, who, who cares about comparing yourself to, you know, someone in a different con conference right now, you got to compare yourself to Bama and Georgia and yeah. Ohio state's probably in that group as well. Like that's, that's who you need to be comparing yourself to. And, why, why the hell does he feel bad for us? We're in well, great shape. I mean, we're in great shape. We still got better players than everyone else in the conference. And this is the reality of it. And I've, I've had this discussion with so many people now. It's like, hey, I'm going to give you two choices. In one hand, you get Jeff Levy leading your offense and Brent Venables leading your defense. In the other hand, you get Lincoln Riley leading your offense and Alex Grinch leading your defense. I don't know what percentage is taken Levy and Venables, but I know it's a big percentage. 
because it's the right choice. It's the more proven group. So I just, I, I think it's funny, like feel bad for OU football. Why? Because they have a fantastic coaching staff that is doing great on the recruiting trail. Now the, the administration is more motivated than ever to spend the type of money that it's going to take to compete at the highest level. Like the hell should, why we don't need you to feel bad for us. OU is, yeah, it, it may not, it's not going to be probably a national championship caliber team this year. I don't think, I don't think that's realistic to expect when you look at what Bama and Georgia have on their roster right now, but the future, I mean, come on, man. It's, it's looking good. And maybe, maybe I'm just being, everything is being skewed by my crimson and cream glasses, but it's like, OU and USC, they can both have really bright futures. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it, it, it has turned, it's turned weird, Ben. Well, it's a, it's a dangerous road to hit your wagon to the um, Oklahoma's going to die without Lincoln Riley train. Okay. And there's a lot of people on that train right now. I got bad news for you. I Lincoln Riley, Colin Coward says 18 months. I, it may be 18 months, but I'll tell you what, buddy, it's going to be a long 18 months because Oklahoma is, it's not going to take 18 months. Now, like you said, national championship this year, well, you don't want to take anything off the table, but um, like we've got work to do as well. We're going to be a good football team next year. We're going to win the Big 12 next year. We're going to have a decent shot because of that to possibly have a playoff appearance, depending how, on how things unfold. We're going to be right there in the mix. If Oklahoma makes a playoff next year without Lincoln Riley, and you've hitched yourself to the Oklahoma dies without Lincoln train, you may all of a sudden have a harsh realization and look at look at what Lincoln has done and look at what you've projected is going to happen at USC and say, oh, man, you know, was it all Lincoln at Oklahoma? Or is there a lot built into that program that is going to continue trucking on like, like it was before Lincoln got there? So I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a dangerous road to go down to I, say the I, least. I will say this. I, I'm not sure how many people from USC actually have gone back and watched Caleb Williams play last year. You and I now there, there's no doubt the traits, the talent, like the ability is I, I think he's arguably the most talented talented quarterback in all of college football with what he can do physically. But if you go back and watch Baylor, <laughs> go back and watch Oklahoma state, Iowa the, state, Iowa state, like the young man. And I know he was a true freshman, but he struggled, struggled. And I, I'm just not, I'm not sure how many USC fans are aware of that, it, uh, you know, including Colin Cowherd. And I will, uh, I'll say this also. If you're USC, you don't need to be worried about Oklahoma. OU, OU's a long way away, right? And they're not in the Pac-12. You need to be worried about Oregon. Yeah. Because they are hell-bent on winning a title soon. 
because Phil Knight is getting up there in age. And Phil Knight, you know, from some of the things I've been told, Phil Knight is like, do what you got to do. I got it. Like, I'll, I, I'll take care of the bill. Don't worry about it. Let's go win a title. And they're offering guys four. Now, they are not, but you know, a, an associated collective. Now, of course, it would never be officially associated with the university. That's against the rules. But also, some of this stuff is coming through a company that Phil Knight owns. Shocker. I and which, which hey, this is all above board now. I got no problem with it. But if you're USC, I'd be worried about the four-year, seven-figure guaranteed NIL deals they're putting on the table for recruits. Or the fact that they're letting them design their own shoes. Or that they're doing their own NFTs for them and allowing them to put that stuff out on the marketplace and benefit from all of that. Like Dan Lanning and that staff that he assembled, they have been given the green light to do whatever it takes to assemble a national championship level roster in Eugene. And they are taking full advantage of that on the recruiting trail. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's, that's just the piece of it for me. The other piece is they've put together staff with championship pedigree, right? They've won championships. They know like, the right way to piece it together culture wise, like what you've got to have around the program. And they're doing a lot of the similar things that you've seen. Like almost all of it stems from one form or another from Nick Saban and how he operates and what he's done at Alabama. Anyone that's, you know, the tentacles from that reach out, they reach out to Clemson. Obviously, with, with what they did in winning titles, there's, there was uh, some mirror there. Georgia, obviously, with Kirby Smart, uh, it, it reaches out there quite a bit. And because of that, it's going to be the same thing at Oregon. There's going to be similarities with what's going on at Oklahoma, right? Even Brian Kelly at LSU. So there's like that mentality that mindset of how you've got to build it from within is is kind of the the ultimate goal there now the nil stuff on the periphery that you've got to be involved in that's going to be a big part in the recruiting as well but like the the actual culture within the program i always think is the most important thing and i consider that to be lincoln riley's biggest weakness right and i consider that to be probably what's going to be landing out of Oregon's strength and Venable's strength and, you know, guys that have been from that tree that have championship pedigree. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Okay. Enough about that. Let's talk some OU stuff and wanted to start here. All kinds of guys are coming back for the spring game, right? I'm sure you've talked to former teammates that are coming back, Ted. I've talked to a lot of guys that are coming back and, I'll say this, Brent Venables and his staff have done a fantastic job reaching out to ex-players to come back for the spring game. It is, they have done, they've been so much more thorough than what we've seen over the last several years when it comes to getting 
not only guys that, you know, were stars and all Americans, right. National award winners, but like guys that just the fans love guys that, you know, were multi-year starters, but maybe they didn't make it in the NFL. Like they don't care. They want everyone back. They want recruits to feel that brotherhood and, Clearly, you know, Baker Mayfield being back is huge, right, for the statue unveiling. But you've got guys that haven't been around in a long time that are, are coming back. And you, you look at a guy like Tony Jefferson. I mean, when's the last time he's been back? Kenny Stills. I don't, I, I haven't, I don't know that I've seen Tony Jefferson since the day he left. I, that's what I'm saying, like, these are guys that, that have not been back in Norman in a long, long time for whatever reason, right? But you've got Oboe coming back. Now, Jordan Evans is, is a guy that's been around, but you, you've also Creed Humphrey, Lane Johnson, like, you know, some of the best at what they do in the National Football League. But then you've got, you know, the, the social media staff for OU football giving graphics to guys like me. And Rufus Alexander, it's like we were really, really good college players, right? But I didn't have some stellar pro career. Like Jason White, Heisman Trophy winner, but he didn't have a stellar career. He's putting out the graphic, right? Ryan Broyles, now he was just a monster of a college player. But and injuries stopped him from being a great pro. But I, I saw Zach Sanchez, Dimitri Flowers, like Geno Lewis. It's like all these different guys are putting out these graphics. And I, I don't know, man, it just, it makes me smile because I, I've always thought like, that's how it's supposed to be, right? You put in, you put in so much time and effort and, and so much energy into playing college football at a program. And like, it, it's really refreshing for me to see all of these guys, not just the star players, not just the guys that have signed big, you know, second contracts in the National Football League. It, it's cool. It's really cool for me to see this new staff embracing everybody, like the entire brotherhood of OU football. I don't know. It just, it just feels a little different. And maybe it's because I'm one of those guys, right? And it makes me feel good. <laughs> maybe that's it. But I, I don't know, man. I just, I, I really like seeing what, what's going on. I do too. You know, it's as a recruit that's going to be there. It's it'll be really something special to see. I don't know. There may be a hundred former players that are roaming around on the sidelines, and to see guys of all ages um, hanging around in the facility, walking around, like it does show that wow. You come here, it's going to be like it's it's not just a three or four year deal. This is a lifelong um, commitment, a lifelong family, however you want to phrase that. So I think that's really cool. I think it helps a lot. And I think it says a lot that a lot of those guys are coming back. It's not easy. You know, a lot of people have, you know, not everyone is a millionaire hanging out in the off season right now. A lot of guys have families and jobs and stuff going on, and they're gonna they're gonna be uh, putting that to the side to come in and hang out for a couple of days or so and and see the see the program, see the recruits, see the facility, see the fans. 
it's going to be awesome. And it, it, again, it tells you that there's guys from all over the place that are coming back because, and even guys that don't have a relationship with Venables, he started to try to build that, but uh, he's the guys that played for him in that era, not even don't have to be defensive guys. I uh, built a good relationship with him and everyone feels great about the direction of the program, including all the former guys. And they're going to be back to show their faces and be a part of it. Everyone feels great about it, except for Colin Cowherd. <laughs> We're doomed, no, he says. Dude, there's a, there's, a, there's a long list of people, and I don't know how much of it is like, they honestly believe it or how much of it is they're just trying to drive a, you know, attention and get clicks or whatever. But, you know, I heard the, that same stupid podcast. One of the guys on there said the same thing, like, I don't know, Venables, I don't know if he's, he's a great defensive coordinator, but he's never been a head coach before, so I don't know if he's the guy. And in the same breath, said that Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame is going to do an outstanding job. And I'm like, how can you even do that? How does that even make sense in, in, in one statement to contradict yourself like that? It's amazing. I, I will say, I think you and I both agree that Marcus Freeman is a fantastic coach, and he, I, I expect him to do a great job at Notre Dame. I do too. But if you compare the resumes, well, Venable's resume is vastly superior. Right, right. With what he's and done I don't so even, far. It, it is, but I don't even care about the resume. Don't say that this guy's never been a head coach before, just don't know if he can do that, and then literally the same statement, talk about another guy that's never been a head coach before and just think that it's going to go, you know, perfect. Don't use that as the reason if you're not going to use it across the board. Especially when... You know, the coach at Notre Dame just left because he didn't think he was getting the the total buy-in that he needed from the, from the administration. Right. And, oh, by the way, you can't get everyone into Notre Dame. <laughs> so oh. there is that. Like, I, uh, we, it's, still, it's still odd that there was such a love fest for Brent Vittables. Like, why isn't he? Why does he want to be a head coach? What's up with that? Oh man, the loyalty! Like he's great. He's the best defense coordinator in football. And now it's like, I don't know about this guy. It's it's funny, man. It 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 is interesting. But okay, let's talk about the top things we're going to be watching for in the spring game. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including my favorite, yes, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery, soft comfort, 
Go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use our promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use our promo code TED, 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right, top things we are watching for in the spring game. You want to go first? Sure. Um, The number one thing I'm looking for is the running game offensively. All right. Um, I think we've had great quarterback play here in the past, but the better the running game is, the better the quarterback play is. And we've got a little bit of a different system. We've talked about that on here, a little bit more zone stuff. There'll be some gap stuff in there too, but how our offensive line controls the line of scrimmage, how effective we are running the ball, uh, I think that's going to be critical. And, And, you know, that kind of ties in both the offensive line and the running back position all kind of into one. I Oklahoma cannot be as successful as we want to be if we are not the best rushing football team in the Big 12. The best years that we have had recently is when we are number one in the Big 12. Some years we were number one by a mile. And I get it that Uh, Baylor's running game has improved dramatically and they've got something excellent going down there. We should still be better. And I think we can be better. That comes from offensive line play, uh, running back play, and obviously scheme is tied into that as well. So I'll be watching that, see if the offensive line can, can dominate. If, if we do much tempo to try and build that a little bit throughout the game, I don't know how much of that they're going to do, but that's to me, one of, if not the most critical parts of this football team to see where we're going to go in the fall. See, you, you've, got, you've got that big old brain <laughs> because you say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to have my eye on the running game. Like, so much goes into that, and you know it. Like, hey, offensive line play. You know, are you winning at the point of attack? Running back, that you, you can talk about. Okay, you know, vision, you know, being good with your reads, making good cuts, protecting the football, ball security. Like it just encompasses everything. I love it. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'll just be watching like the most, you know, important things in football. And well, I, I'm with you because I do think the I, I think if you ask ask me what I think the strength of this defensive line is, I would say at this point, they are they're a better run stopping group than they are rushing the passer group. Agree. Right. So can this offensive line, who Bill Beanboat, he's still trying to figure out the right combinations. We'll see if Rain participates. I mean, he's missed so much time. I, I, I don't know if he's even going to play or not, but you, you look at this offensive line. Hey, like, hey, can you get some movement? Can you get some movement? You've been going against these guys for, you know, a couple months now. What they, they probably know 
a lot of the stuff that's coming like that. You've seen the same stuff over and over and over again. It's like, can you get some movement, even though, you know, even though the defense kind of knows what you're going to do. And yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see how that looks. I just like to see how it, uh, everything builds from the running game, right? Uh, right. And it's going to look different than it's looked in the past. So I think it's going to be fun, like in person to see how Levy builds a drive, right? Um, you know, cause Lincoln would, would kind of do the same thing, start with some of the, you know, his bread and butter run. And then as the game goes on, you build play action off of some of those runs and then you add motions and shifts to build on some of those formations that you're running those plays out of. So it's just going to be really, really cool to see that for the first time and watch, watch the offense take shape bloom, uh, so to speak. Yeah. And that kind of ties in to, to one of my, well, one of the things I'm going to be watching for perfectly Javante Barnes, right? Like I, I think we are going to see a lot of the freshmen because you look at just the way that the coaches talk about Eric Gray, right? You, you hear DeMarco Murray calling him a pro, and like all the coaches talking about how well he's handled his business. I, I'm not entirely sure we're going to see a ton of him, right? Maybe a couple drives at the most, right? Yeah. I, I think they view Eric Gray as one of the most essential players on this football team. So you got to be smart with that, right? And when you got a guy like Javante Barnes, what an opportunity for the young man to put on the show and kind of get the fan base buzzing, right? And he's got the ability. I mean, there's going to be some runs where he makes some people miss and the the whole crowd's going to go crazy. I, I I can't wait, but he's been he's been a good practice player. Of course, he's a freshman, may, making a lot of mistakes like freshmen do, but I'm excited to see how he kind of reacts to to this stage, right? Because he could be one of those guys that gets out in front of this crowd and just turns it up a level. And that's kind of what I'm expecting. So, I, dude, I'm really excited to watch Javante Barnes. Yeah, I think he will turn it up a notch. The guys that are going to get most excited about being out in front of the crowd are the guys that have never played in that stadium with anyone in it, right? And He's going to be one of those, so the adrenaline's going to be flowing. It's going to feel like a real game for him. Um, I, he's definitely, in my opinion, the the top candidate coming out of the spring game that everyone's going to be like, wow, who is that dude? Especially because that number two looks great on a running back. Man, it looks good. I, I, will, I will say the Sooners' number twos between Barnes and Aguebu. Looking pretty good. That's that's about the best looking deuces you'll find. That's uh that's that that's pretty that's pretty solid. Okay, what else what else are you watching for? Um my my second most important factor is who's and maybe we don't have our answer, but uh who's gonna be our best pass rusher? I, I think that's gonna be critical. I you know, like you said, I think this defensive line as a group strength right now is stopping the run. I don't aside from maybe Redmond who I still consider until I until I kind of see otherwise I see Redmond as a almost a brute force and and power type of guy instead I, of I just will, like a I I will say this about Redmond like he's had he's had some flashes where you and I you know going back and watching the game we're like damn 
look at that. But we we do talk about him like he's some All-American, you know, like kind of you know, almost Big 12 defensive lineman of the year type player. And he he really hasn't been that because of the lack of consistency. Yep. So a, as talented as we think he is, like we also got to be realistic. Like he needs to take a step, maybe even he a leap, right? It, he yeah. needs to start becoming the player we think he can be. And I, I don't know how much we'll learn in the spring game. Right. But he needs to, he needs to have those moments. Like if he wants to be that player in the fall, like let's go, man, big stage, ton of fans are going to be there. Let's go turn it, turn it on and, and have some of those wow moments, but also be consistent, snap in and snap out when you're out there on the field. Yep. Consistency is going to be the key for him. Uh, consistency and availability. Yeah, he spent way too much time standing on the sideline for injury. Uh, he's got to stay healthy. But, you know, I don't know that we have what I would consider I, a true pass rusher. Like, like I was going to say, with Redmond is like more of a kind of a brute force win with just athleticism, which there's nothing wrong with that. But as you play better and better competition, it's going to become more and more skill involved. You're not just going to be able to line up and bull over guys. You've got to have some really good skill and technique. And I think it's kind of the same thing on the edge. We've got some big, physical, strong guys that have some good physical attributes, but is someone going to step up and turn into what I would consider an elite pass rusher that's got a, a broad range of skills and moves that they can throw down out there whenever they, they get a chance to pin their ears back. I, I know we've been, we've been very positive and, you know, kind of could just cause we're excited about the Brent Venables era moving forward, but the pass rush that it could be a problem, man. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you look at it, they, they lost their three best pass rushers from last year and Isaiah Thomas, Nick Benito and Perry on Winfrey. They got to find some guys that can get after the passer and not just in obvious passing situations. Like you need, you need guys that can win one-on-ones. So I'm with you, man. Who are those guys going to be? And is a guy going to show something on Saturday where we're like, okay, maybe Ethan Downs is that guy. Maybe Reggie Grimes can be that guy. Hell, maybe it ends up, you know, being an interior guy, but yeah, that's, that's a big concern for this football team. I, I, I'm with you. Okay. Another one, and this is boring, but it's important. And I think it's, it's something that fans can actually watch in the spring game and go, okay, this is significant, right? Because I think there's this, there's this narrative out there that you know, nothing, there's really nothing productive that comes out of these games. No, this is important. Backup quarterback. QB1 is not an issue, right? And I know BV said that Dylan Gabriel is going to do a little bit with both teams. I'm all for that. He is head and shoulders above the rest of the group right now when it comes to quarterback play. But who is QB2 going to be? Is it Ralph Rucker? Is Nick Evers the freshman? Like, is he going to step up? I kind of think that if they had to play a game right now, like if they were playing an actual game on Saturday, 
I think Michael Bowens would be the backup because of his ability to escape and just he, he's an experienced, he's a more experienced guy. Like he's been in a couple systems now. He's done some good things throughout spring practice. I know we really didn't touch on him when we were breaking down the QBs a few episodes back, but he's a guy that showed some things. And I think if they had to play Saturday, Bowens would be the backup. But I want to see how Evers, Bowens, Rucker, Harris, like how these guys respond to this moment because it's a whole lot different going out and playing quarterback when there are thousands and thousands of people in the stands watching you perform. It now getting yelled at by Jeff Levy and Britt Venables, like, yeah, that's that's anxiety inducing. There's no doubt. But this how this spring game has come together. And you know, when it when it comes to the expectation of how many people are gonna be there, like there's gonna be, I, I would say at the very least, there's gonna be like fifty-five thousand people there. I hope there's eighty. That'd be incredible. And I hope Mother Nature cooperates. Come on, Mother Nature, give us give us a break. But these guys and the way that they perform in this game, like it's important because this offensive staff, they are looking for a guy other than Dylan Gabriel that can operate this offense efficiently. They can keep them on schedule. They can handle all the tempo and the processing that that tempo requires from the quarterback position. Like are like, can these guys get it done? That's basically what I'm like. I want to see one of these guys, step up and operate this offense at a high level. I agree with you. And, you know, one of the interesting things about spring game is, and, and OU does quite a bit of this uh, in their regular practice whenever they're doing some live periods, but it's going to be different with, you know, a bunch of fans there because, you know, typically whenever you're lining up, you can hear a coach say, I, you know, if it's a, a defensive back or something, you know, back up, you're supposed to be at eight yards or, um, you know, like they're given tips and like things as the play is like about to unfold, right? Offensive line, you know, maybe about like what the, what the front actually is or what a call needs to happen. And then, okay, yeah, they make the call. That's not going to happen in the spring game. So some of the younger, like Evers, who's out there and, you know, whenever he's playing quarterback in practice, you know, Levy may be telling him something as they're breaking the huddle or, you know, he may hear a coach say something to a wide receiver that's like a reminder for him about something. You're not going to hear that stuff. You're going to be out there on your own. And the young guys and, and some of the guys that don't know the system like they should or, you know, are still coming along, that stuff's going to stick out. Like that's th- that's going to be where your mistakes are made. Is most of it's going to be pre-snap when guys don't know what they're doing. And I, I think this is why I, I'm such a proponent. You know, when when you need to, and I'm more of a proponent when you need to find your starting quarterback. But this is why I like open practices, like some open practices, because playing quarterback is it's hard. There's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety that goes into playing that position, especially at Oklahoma, right? And that ramps up when there are there when there are people watching. 
Yep. When there are fans watching, like, so these guys going into it know that, you know, Dylan Gabriel, he's going to get however many series he's get, he's going to get. And then they're, the, the entire fan base is going to judge how good they are based on this one performance in the spring game. Yeah. And maybe Levy's saying, hey, going into it, like, don't worry about it. Just play your game. But, like, they know that. They know how social media works. So, all right, guys, let's, let's see what you got. Who wants to be QB2? Who's going to take the job? I know it's not the starting job. Dylan Gabriel's got that locked down. But who, who is going to rise to the occasion, embrace the moment, be able to embrace that stress of all these people watching them perform? Who's going to step up? I, maybe it's Michael Bones. I, I, I don't know. But that is something I'm going to be watching closely. And it's not just it's not just during plays, right? I want to see how these guys are operating in between plays. That's that's a that's an important part of this for me. Like, do you have command of the entire offense? Are you getting guys lined up maybe if they go to the wrong spot? Do you remember all the shifts and motions for these plays? Like there's a lot that goes into it. So QB2 is is something I'll be watching closely. I know it's boring, but that is actually something you can watch in this spring game that I think is I think it's really important. All right, well, what else well, you got? Uh just one more point on that is maybe it doesn't even matter next season, right? Maybe Dylan right. Gabriel Hopefully plays not. every single snap that you want him to throughout the entire year, but man, sprained ankle, miss a second half, you know, like who knows what could go down you know, you obviously you don't want it to be something serious where the he's gone for the majority of a season, but like that stuff can happen and you better have someone that's prepared. Um, really, the last one that I've got is tackling. You know, I, I expect there to be mistakes out there defensively. Um, I expect Levy to be going fast on offense. You know, our guys are still trying to get this system down. So I think they're they're probably going to be behind a little bit as things get going fast and maybe be in the wrong spot, out of position a little bit. But tackling is something that, you know, th- th- it's a great way to practice tackling is being out of position from the start, right? Because that's, that's what teams are going to be trying to do to you on game day. And they've had a lot – they've had more work tackling this spring then probably some of those guys have done the entire time that they've been at Oklahoma. It's been first and foremost in pretty much every single practice, physicality, tackling, bringing guys to the ground. So that's what uh, defensively, I, if everything else equal, if we are a vastly improved tackling team, we'll be a vastly improved defense. Like yeah. Everything else like, is just kind of, the same. Yeah, you give up some passes, you you give up some plays, but if you can tackle when you're supposed to tackle, that's going to limit teams big time. And from the limited amount I've seen, I've been pretty impressed with, with the type of tackling I've seen out there. No, I'm with you. All right, my last thing, who is going to earn playing time at wide receiver? Right? I, I think there there are four guys that are – you know, no, no doubt going to play a ton. You know, you got Mims, you got Weiss, you got Stoops, and you got Farouk. I, I think those four guys 
You know, of course, everyone has to stay healthy. But those four guys, I think, are are in a really good spot, and the coaching staff has been pleased with what they've seen from them. So looking at the spring game on Saturday, like, who else is going to make some plays from the wide receiver group? Right? Is it going to be a Jaden Gibson? Is it going to be a Trevon West? A Brian Darby? Does Brian Darby step up and make some plays? Cody Jackson's kind of the guy I think it's going to be because I, I think he's he's finally looking healthy and, and coming along. So I I don't know who it's going to be, but it, that that's something like the fifth and sixth wide receiver on the team. It may not sound that important, but with how much tempo they want to play with and you know how explosive Levy wants this passing game to be like you got to have that depth at wide receiver so I'm excited to see what kind of second team wide receivers make some big plays on Saturday I think that's that's also something really important to watch for yeah and all of these guys should get some really good opportunities and it'll be a good 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 way to kind of judge them against one another the fact that Dylan Gabriel's playing on both squads, right? Yeah. So he'll point. be able to be able to throw to you would think all of those guys at least a series or two. I don't know how, how long he's gonna play, but yeah, man, I I think we've got like the full cast, as you put it, a uh, a basketball roster at wide receiver. There's guys that can all do some different things, and hopefully we get to see that shine. And I I don't know, man. I think we have a battle, not just for playing time, but for who's going to be the superstar wide receiver. Like, I honestly think there's a battle there between a guy who had almost no action last year, year in Jalil Farouk and a guy in Mims who's been kind of our go-to for two years now. I, I think there's a legitimate battle for who the who the real number one is. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, in and- – you know, these guys are competitive as hell, right? That's how, that's usually how college football players, you know, especially when you're at this level are wired. Like Mims wants to be the guy and Farouk wants to be the guy. So I'm hoping that that healthy competition to be the guy ends up raising both of their level of play, right? That's, yep. that's the hope at least. Okay. You got anything else you're watching for? Um, I think that's a, well, there's all kinds of things, but like the biggest keys, I think that kind of hits it. Yeah. My my only last thing is what pose is Baker's statue gonna be? Yeah. That's <laughs> that's the last thing. Like when you talk about important things happening on Saturday, like that statue's gonna be in Heisman Park for yeah. forever. So now I know we all wish it was the flag plant. I I just can't imagine that it's going to be the flag plant, but I was thinking about okay, what what do I think about when I think about Baker Mayfield on the football field, right, at, at Oklahoma? And I think I've landed on this as my preferred statue pose. He's like, he's rolled out of the pocket. The play is broken down, and he's like directing a wide receiver. Like, point, he's got the ball in his right hand. He's pointing with his left hand, like, for, for a guy to go somewhere, he's ad-libbing, like, that was my favorite Baker Mayfield stuff. So that's kind of what I want to see. Like when he, when it felt like he made something out of nothing, like that was my, that is when I think I was the most entertained 
by Baker in, in an OU jersey. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that's the pose, like him, ball in his right hand, kind of directing a wide receiver, pointing with his left hand. I think that's what I want. Final answer. Yeah, that would be good. Do you think that they'll leave like a like a spring-loaded joint in the elbow so in the wind his his hand is kind of doing this out there I, pointing to I would receivers? Ass- I would assume – I would assume the budget was high on this <laughs> statue, right? He's like the most loved OU player of all time. So I, I doubt they spared any expense. If the technology for bronze to be <laughs> to become spring-loaded exists, I'm sure they used it. Um, I, I think that, the for me, the most likely is probably just like the traditional pocket quarterback. That's boring. But that's not what he it, was, you know. I know. I, I'm with you. If I was like to put, other than that, if that if I was, you're asking me what I think it would be. You know, he had the the touchdown at Oklahoma State, where he had like a true Heisman pose stiff arm on that run. So I, that would be a really cool one if they wanted to go that route. But then. You know, whenever you're driving past or looking at the statue to those who don't know, and I don't know, maybe there's none of these people out there, but it doesn't really give you the quarterback look. So I don't know. I I would like to see him directing traffic like you're talking about or like in the middle of a run, but I'm afraid it's going to be the the traditional pocket. I. I also don't know, like, to extend an arm on a bronze statue, like, how's that changed the budget, you know? Yeah. Like, does does that increase the statue's cost by, like, $100,000 or something like that? I, I have no idea. So, we'll see. I'm excited to see it, though. I didn't think I'd be this excited to see what pose the statue would be in, but I'm, I'm kind of fired up to see what it is. Now, here's the other thing, and this probably had to be – maybe the most extensive discussion when it came to putting the statue together because he's not going to have a helmet on. What is the facial hair situation? Beard. Hadn't even, hadn't even thought Fu about Manchu, that. Clean shaven. What's it going to be? Can't, you can't do clean shaven. It's either beard or Fu Manchu. I, I know, but you know what? I wonder if you would assume, right, that Baker got to pick, right? You would assume they go to you and you're like, hey, man, we're going to build you a statue because you want a Heisman Trophy that will be here until the end of time. What do you want it to look like? I, I assume that conversation happens. And I think if the choice was up to Baker, he'd go Fu Manchu. I know. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. And I, I don't know. I, my guess is it's unfortunately going to be the clean shave look. Oh, I know. I know. I don't think, and just, just to, to make it clear that the clean shave and path is not the way to go. I don't think we've had people more excited about anything we've ever done on this podcast more than the couple episodes where you had a beard. <laughs> right. The people are just like, Oh my God. It, it was just like, 
People just love beards. Baker's yep. a beard guy. You can't make him clean shaven. Come on. That's ridiculous. I know. I know. Okay. Let's get to call your shot. Uh, we asked you what you guys are most excited about when it comes to watching OU spring game on Saturday. This one came from at Tally Oki on Twitter, who said, will it be televised for people outside of Oklahoma to see it? And I'll be watching BV to see if OU needs to hire a get back guy for next season. I hadn't even thought about that, but it, so as far as the broadcast, right, you, you can catch Teddy and I on the radio broadcast, you know, all the, you know, all the OU radio network affiliates throughout the state, but the TV stuff, it's all on Sooner Sports TV, right? So you, you can catch that online if you have a membership to Sooner Sports TV, which you should have because then you can watch me and Teddy do all of our you know, wonderful television shows for the University of Oklahoma. But Bally Sports is going to broadcast it at a to-be-determined date, right? That's how I understand it. Correct. Yep, it'll be live on Soonersports.tv and a future broadcast on Bally's, which... Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, if, if you know Bally's, it may or may not happen. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the answer to that. And then as far as the get-back guy, we'll see. I'm just remember, curious to see if V's got we, the microphone. Remember when we asked uh, Venables about it? I, I think it was on the podcast. He said, I, let's just be clear. I don't. I didn't need that guy. <laughs> okay coach uh this other one this other one comes from kurt crawford who says attendance a lot of emphasis has been put on packing the palace let's see if the fans deliver venable says he wants doers ted he wants doers no excuses i know what the forecast is i still don't care people show up and this is the way i think about it right going to be a lot of recruits there important recruits that's right and if uh if thousands and thousands of people show up when the weather is perfect like yes the recruits are going to be like man look at this crowd for the spring game like OU, the OU fans are passionate they got the juice but just think of what a young guy will think if weather's not that great maybe there's a little rain and all the fans still show up that's where it's like, damn, this isn't like weather's not great. And, and they still have this many people here. Like that's remember everything matters. Just think of how a recruit would think about a massive crowd showing up, even when the weather isn't great. Now it's going to be warm, but the, there, there is, there is some rain in the forecast, but we'll, we'll see. Hopefully it holds off, but that's the way I'm thinking about it. It's like, if I was a recruit, a recruit and the weather isn't perfect and still, you know, 70,000 people show up or whatever that would impress me. I know that. So that that's the way I'm approaching this. I agree. Quick question. Let's assume the weather is nice. And let's say that the attendance is underwhelming. Does coach Venable say something about it in the press conference afterwards? I, I think he will be passive aggressive about it. Like, Hey, we appreciate all the fans that, um, uh, that showed up great turnout, 
Uh, could have been better. Wondering where the rest of Sooner Nation was. I, I think, or, I mean, he's not really a passive-aggressive guy. He's kind of just full-on no. aggressive and uh, open about it. Yeah, I think he'll be like, if he is, if he's not satisfied with the number, I, I know you and I are going to say something on here. I know that. Like, we, we've made that very well known that if the fan base doesn't show up the, the way that we think they should, like, you got to say something. I, Vittables doesn't seem like a guy that wouldn't just, just fully embrace that. Now, maybe he's also thinking, hey, I don't want to put this soundbite out there for other programs to use against us, which is a, which is a good point. So now I'm flipping, I'm flipping back. I think he'd be passive aggressive about it. I think he would, I think, I still think that he would call it directly out, but I don't know. I think Just you're right. Hopefully I'm, I'm we, flopping back. I think you're right. Hopefully we don't have to worry about it. And we have an amazing crowd because I know there's been, uh, we've got the, we got the troll army on Twitter that goes after anyone and everyone that has anything to say about Oklahoma, which I absolutely love. And I think is great. I, Okay, it's now it's time to be about it. Show up to the game. Yeah. Okay. The the last thing for call your shot, we got a simple answer from Elliot Harp, who says what he will be watching is defensive secondary. Yeah. That is that's the only group we didn't do a position breakdown for. And there's a simple reason why. Uh I I counted wrong. That was it. We ran out of time. <laughs> to do it but when you look at it I, I, i'm with you elliot I, i'm excited to see billy bowman at safety i'm excited to see key lawrence now that he's got a home at safety i i i'm very excited to watch a healthy woody washington who just from the way it sounds could could possibly be the best player on this defense the most consistent player on this defense i think the second corner and the nickel spot are are interesting to keep an eye on. I, I will say this. In the little that I've seen, Kanai Walker is the guy that when I watch him and just look at him and look at the way he moves and look at the length and athleticism he's got, he's the one guy that I like. You walk out there and you're like, who's that guy? That's the guy. Mm-hmm. And if, if Jay Valai can develop him into kind of a technician at corner. Like you talk about a guy that's got all of the raw materials. So I'm, I'm excited to watch him. He'll be, he'll be wearing 26, but yeah, that second corner spot, the nickel spot, I think Broyles has a ton of respect. Um, and, uh, he he's, he's one of maybe the leader of the football team, uh, along with Braden Willis, but yeah, the secondary is definitely something that, that we're going to have a close on, especially because, it's complex back there in Brent Venable's defense. There's no doubt about it. So let's see how these guys communicate. And I, I'll mainly be watching that first group uh, of guys. And Jaden Davis is also a guy that has you – know, he's, he's done some really good stuff in spring ball. Like, they, they like what they've seen from him, uh, especially from a technique standpoint. Him and Valai uh, are really seeing eye-to-eye on a lot of things. And he's, he's playing at a higher level. He's playing his best football, in my opinion, since he's been at Oklahoma. So, I don't know. Yeah, the secondary, the secondary is going to be fun to watch. There's no doubt. Yeah, I, I think 
I think Jay Valai as corner coach is maybe one of the more uh, least talked about things out there that could perhaps have the biggest influence on the entire football team. He, he knows the position. He's an outstanding up and coming coach at the position. It's in, and it sounds like the guys have responded really well to it and because he speaks their language, right? He's played it. So that matters. It matters to guys. And, um, I don't know. I'm excited, but you know, I'm kind of glad we didn't do the position breakdown because there's so many guys there that we just really need to see who's going to, st- I think there's so many guys rotating through. we got to see who's going to stand up and, and really, you know, kind of take the reins at those spots because I don't know that anyone necessarily has up to this point. And I think safety has a chance to be a good position of strength for us couple of good guys that are trustworthy right now that are big play capable uh, capable plus also like youngsters like mukes that they feel like it, whenever it all comes together has an incredibly high ceiling yeah uh full disclosure i started when i was putting together the rundown for this episode i started putting the defensive back breakdown on there i was like nope we'll take too long <laughs> Can't do it. We can't be, we can't be pumping out a two hour and 15 minute podcast because we got to talk about 13 defensive backs. That's right. But Hey, I think we're all excited. We're, we're excited to see what the secondary looks like. There's no doubt. All right. Birthday shout outs. Happy fourth birthday to Zoe ball. Happy 31st birthday to David Rodriguez and happy 31st birthday to Dan Minshing. All the way in Guam. Wow. Happy birthday, Dan. Great stuff, Dan. By the way, that is like one of the most random. Like I was looking at the email, the birthday shout out email. It was, I think it was like a Tulsa, a person from Tulsa that works at the University of Georgia that gave a birthday shout out for someone that lives in Guam. Wow. Yeah, that that is <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, nonetheless, happy birthday. I was just looking at it. I was like, man, this, uh, we got all kinds of people. You think there's a thing. birthday cake place in Guam? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Guam, Guam's civilized. Come on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, it's time to get back out on the golf course, people. And there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf, Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, you got to go grab some. You won't regret it. Clubby's first variety pack is coming in May. To find a place near you that has Clubby's, visit clubbyseltzers.com. That uh, that variety pack's coming soon. Can't wait. Very excited. Can't wait to test the product. (laughs) And attention, business owners. Yeah, you. You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. 
Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best in class businesses win by avoiding loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And make sure you go to Ted's Tacos and Cantina. It is an awesome bar with fantastic food, and they just dropped their latest Berea creation, the Wet Dia. This <laughs> massive quesadilla is loaded with slow-cooked beef berea cheese, onions, cilantro, and yes, spicy mocajete sauce, and comes with a side of beef consomme for dipping. I've had it. It's really damn good. Highly recommend it. Perfect. But like, if, maybe you drink a little too much on Saturday for OU spring game, go get you the wet dia from Ted's Tacos and Cantina. I promise it'll, it'll help you out. They have locations in Uptown OKC, Ada, and Ardmore. Visit tedstacocantina.com for more information. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I'm going to go with uh, a little bit uh, off the off the beaten path here. Go with Brian Kelly at Louisiana State University. Um, read some stuff on, on Brian Kelly down there and what he's done. Whenever he first took that job, I said, oh, my God, this is terrible. This, this does not fit his style, does not seem like the type of coach that the LSU fans are going to rally behind. And at least what it sounds like right now, I could not have been more wrong. It sounds like everyone has bought in with what he's done down there. Now, they've had – everyone wants to get back to what Saban instilled at LSU in the early 2000s, right? He came in there, changed the program around. Since then, they've had some success, there's no doubt. But it's been a disorganized, undisciplined football team the majority – of those years. And there's been years that they've, you know, obviously done really well. And then they've had dramatic fall off uh, afterwards. They want more consistency. And whenever you hear people around it, uh, more discipline, the program is far more organized. The accountability that Brian Kelly's bringing to the locker room is just like Saban whenever he was here. That's what people are saying. He took, whenever he took over the job, LSU had 39 guys on scholarship. He's taken it from 39 to 70 already and expects to be at the 84 number by August. Like that's, that's adding a ton of guys. And, um, you know, some of the players that are, are, that are there that have, have been through the, the previous regime and, and kind of what went down are like we've heard here really embracing the organization, the, the details, the discipline, the focused atmosphere. So it sounds to me like Brian Kelly's got things on the right track. Now, does that mean it's going to turn into a really good season in year one? I doubt it. They've got a lot of holes to fill, but uh, LSU, that, that place recruits and typically has good players showing up routinely. So Sounds to me like Brian Kelly may have something there. I know that 
Brian Kelly isn't for everyone, right? Nick Saban isn't for everyone. But you there there's no denying the fact that that guy has been a winner everywhere he's gone. Right. Going back to what he did at Grand Valley State, right? Winning D two national championships and then Central Michigan. And then what he did at Cincinnati. And then becoming the all time winningest coach at Notre Dame. Like the guy, he he may not win the press conference, but the guy can coach. Mm-hmm. And the guy can delegate as a as a CEO type head football coach. Like LSU fans should be excited. Like this guy is he's one of the best coaches in college football. There's just no debating that. So the fact that he's come in there and established a little more discipline, uh, made it a little more organized, right? He's also like, he has, he's asked for a whole lot from that administration and they're giving him everything he wants. So yeah, I think, I think LSU, now do I think LSU is going to win a national title or anything like that next year? Hell no, I don't. I think it's going to take him a while, but Brian Kelly is going to have access to talent that he has never had access to. And if he can get those guys, like it's proven, he can put together good staffs. He can create winning culture. So I don't, I don't care if he says family weird. I don't care if he keeps doing those goofy dances for recruits. Like it all comes down to wins and losses as LSU's head coach. And there was a reason like Brian Kelly knew what was going to happen when he left Notre Dame to take the LSU job. Like he knew how that was going to affect his legacy at Notre Dame. But he said, I got it. I can do it. I'm going to go win a national championship there. So yeah, it's interesting to see what he's going to be able to accomplish without the just the natural roadblocks that he had at Notre Dame, right? Right. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? I guess I've got to go with all of the baseball traditionalists out there, Gabe. They're under assault right now with some of the rule changes that have been going on. And now it looks like a pitch clock is coming. Minor League Baseball had it. And on average, 20 minutes a game were saved with the pitch clock. Major League Baseball looking to uh, to put in play the pitch clock in the 2023 season. Think about that. 20 minutes a game. Now you might think, oh, 20 minutes a game, that's not that much. It's 20 minutes a game of someone that was standing there walking around the mound. Like, not not commercial breaks, not anything else, a guy standing there with the ball, not pitching it. So I think it's awesome, but the baseball traditionalists, they hate change, Gabe. They hate it. They, they do. There, there's no doubt they do, but I mean, this is a necessary change, right? I, I read about this in Axios sports this morning and they said that entering Tuesday, Major league games were lasting an average of three hours and 10 minutes. And you look at, you know, what they did in the minor leagues with the pitch clock that the average game time was two hours and 39 minutes. 
Like if you if you tell someone for whatever reason the three hour mark it it causes something. Yeah, it, it's psychological, right? If you say, "Hey, you're going to a game. It's going to last over three hours." You're just like, "Oh my god!" Be like, "Hey, you're going to a game. It's going to last two hours and thirty nine minutes." Like, okay, it, uh, I I don't like for whatever reason that three hour mark in my mind is like a massive difference. Yeah. So yeah, give me the pitch clock. I'm in it. I, I want it. Give it. Give it to me. It's crazy though. I like just to think about that. Twenty minutes of time of a guy standing on the mound, like not doing anything that you can easily speed up by adding a clock. And I don't think it's going to be someone standing out there, you know, one of the umpires out in the field going to throw a flag and coming in whistling that he didn't get the pitch off in time. I think it's just going to be like a reminder. And if you're not, if you're like flirting with not getting it off, it's going to be like, Hey, better speed this up a little bit. So I don't think it's going to really, impact the game at all other than just moving the action along which i would hope even the baseball traditionalist would be able to get on board with that yeah and, and if you are if you're a baseball traditionalist that is like analytics is ruining the game like this is the worst i do have some stats that can maybe help you make make you feel better so they did this in that you were talking about the minor leagues where they did the pitch the pitch clock so in games, in the non-clock games, right, there was an average of 5.13 runs in 16.1 hits per game. The pitch clock games, 5.11 runs, 15.9 hits in the games on average. So not it's really like the pitch clock isn't affecting the, you know, the scoring, essentially. Right. Yeah, that's and, close. those are that's within the range of like yeah. nothing. It's not an effect on the game, right? Which, so, you know, people would tell you that oh well, it's part of it. You know, you're trying to wear on the hitter. Well, statistically, it, it has not worked out like that. It it's the exact same. Yeah, and the way it'll yeah. work, it'll be a 14 second pitch clock when the bases are empty, and if there's someone on base, it'll be an 18 second pitch clock so yeah the uh the pace of play is about to ramp up in major league baseball and i think there are a lot of people that are excited about it but yeah the traditionalists disgusted absolutely (laughs) disgusted all right let's get to my winner and loser but first first fidelity bank is a full service financial institution based in oklahoma with tailored solutions for all of your personal and business needs checking accounts saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing, head to your favorite liquor store, and buy some Balcones products. you got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. 
It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world. No big deal by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcony's Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That is the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcony's Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, in 2012, Balcony's Single Malt won the Best in Glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen and became the first American distillery ever to win that competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcony's products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners, yeah, they're from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconiesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the week, thought about going with Pat Boland's children. So for those of you that don't know, Pat Bolin was the owner of the Denver Broncos, passed away a few years ago, and he put the team in a trust, Ted. And now, I am assuming that his children are the beneficiaries of said trust. So that is an assumption I'm making. I don't know. I'm assuming. Could be a surprise coming. You never know. Yeah, but, and it, it doesn't sound like, because he put like a group of like three trustees together and they they were supposed to like find an heir from I think he's got like seven kids like find an heir to take over the family business and I it doesn't sound like the kids get along very well but this could this could help things you know help smooth things over for for the Bolin family because they got five official bids from buyers to purchase the Broncos and reportedly the team is going to sell for over Four billion dollars. Remember, Tepper I, bought the Panthers for like 2.3, 2.4 a couple years back. That's Broncos. Four billion dollars. That's got to change the, and I don't know, they they put out pretty much every year like what the, the value of some of the, the franchises are. Like if that's true, that's got to change like some of the top valued programs, right? Or um, teams, uh, big time. No doubt. I mean, every owner in the NFL is looking at this, going, "Excellent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent." That's awesome. Um, Four billion dollars. I, it's a cash cow, though, man. The NFL is absolutely slaying it right now. They've got the revenue share sharing program going where. Everyone pays in except for Washington, I guess. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, even if your attendance is down and your team is going through a rough patch, boy, that revenue distribution, that payout is big. Yeah. But my winner of the week, Jimmy Butler. I mean, the Heat beat the Hawks Tuesday night thanks to a 45-piece from Jimmy Butler. Uh, the Heat are now up on Trey Young and the Hawks 2-0. In that series, and I know a series doesn't start until a road team wins a game. I understand that, but when you look at that game with quiet nights from Bam Adebayo and Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson, who had like 27 in game one, like he barely played in this game, which was weird, but Jimmy Butler put the Miami Heat on his back, and they were up 104-101. You know, I was watching the game here in the hotel room, 
and there's like three minutes and 15 seconds left. And it kind of felt like, hey, maybe the Heat are going to get this done. And Jimmy Butler, he just took over. I mean, he said, all right, boys, I got it. Don't worry. Had a dunk. Then he hit a really tough kind of fading to his right three. Then had a Euro step, kind of like lefty layup. And all of a sudden you look up and they were up 10 points and the game was over. And I know, I know it's only the first round of the playoffs, right? And this is a team that went to the finals recently, you know, two years ago in the bubble. Remember, they went to the NBA finals. But I love watching big-time players take over late in NBA playoff games. Like, I, I'll be honest. I didn't think Jimmy Butler was, like, this type of guy. Right? Like, he's a really great player. Like, great defender, just really good passer, just an incredible athlete. But, like, for him to take over like that as a scorer in a game where some of his teammates just didn't have it, right? And if you watch the first half of this game, the amount of fouls, there were, it was, I mean, it was unbelievable. But he, he went and took the game. And it was, it was really fun to watch. And it also reminded me, like, it was only a couple of weeks ago where Eric Spolstra is standing up like, do you really, like, do you want me to fight you? Like, really? It, it just seemed like now that seems just so far away because Jimmy who Butler. Who was the like, center? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Who was the center? He wasn't Udonis Haslam, who was like yeah. 40-something years Haslam's old. Haslam's like, I'm going to beat your ass. I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to use that old man strength on him. But, yeah, I mean, you think about that, and then the way the Heat look right now, now, I don't think they're coming out of the East or anything like that, but I didn't know Jimmy Butler had this in him. Like, yeah, that was that was fun to watch. Jimmy Butler's one of the guys that you watch, and he he kind of wears it on his sleeve that uh, how he feels that like he he cares, he wants to win, um, he enjoys the fight, he enjoys the grind. I think a lot of guys. They put off the vibe, even if it's not how they feel, they put off the vibe of this isn't big enough for me to act like I, it's ever got my full attention. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. almost like a, like a, I'm, my mind is somewhere else. This is just kind of, I'm out here. He is like in it and he cares about it and he shows it. He's fun to watch, man. He's a, Anytime you have a, a guy that kind of wears his emotions, they can be fun to watch. They can also be maddening to watch at times if you're against them, but if they're on your team, it it, it is really enjoyable. Yeah, and he hit four threes. He doesn't hit threes. Like he just yeah. I mean, he the someone needed to take that game over for the heat. And he went, I got it. Now he I'll really started as like a, a bulldog defensively, right? Like, yeah. It's kind of how he got his feet under him in his career. Yeah. Still that, that story of him, like forcing his way out. Oh my gosh. What a, <laughs> he's just like openly challenging everyone in practice. Like that's, that's, I love that story, but I did see this from Tyler Fulgham on Twitter, the Atlanta Hawks. And this is like, this is impossible to believe, but it, so I went and checked it. And yeah, it's true. They are now 0-41 against the spread in losses this season. They are 0-22 this season as an underdog. 
Simply a remarkable random stat. That is Isn't that, that insane? Is strange, strange that you didn't hit a you know a last second three in a game where you're down as oh, an underdog to cover or that's against crazy. The spread in losses. Unreal. That is crazy. Wow. Yeah. All right. For my loser of the week. Thought about going with the Phoenix Suns, man. Devin Booker, he drops 31 points in the first half of game two against the Pelicans. He daps up a baby after hitting an incredible fadeaway. And I'm like, that's like one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And honestly, I was jealous. My wife looked at me and was like, this is why I wanted to take Cam to a game this year. <laughs> and I was like, I know. I get it. Yep. That that totally would have happened, honey. But <laughs> I, and it feels unfair, right? Because Booker puts on that show for all of us to watch in the first half. The crowd's going crazy. The Suns are in control of the game. And he daps up the baby. Like, you would think, man, the basketball gods, like, they got to reward this guy. And then he gets hurt on a hustle play trying to run back and like contest the shot and hurts the hammy and the look on his face that is where I was like he knows he knows something's wrong like and just the, his demeanor on the bench like I I had pretty much sharpied the Phoenix Suns into the NBA finals if they were if they were to stay healthy this is the last guy they could lose and now all of a sudden you look at the Pelican series and you're like if Booker's got to miss the rest of the series, watch out now. Brandon Ingram, Brandon Ingram, man. He yeah. got the Thunder that better draft pick, and he, he what, you dropped, what, 38-39 in game two? So watch out now. If they can hold on without him, it's one of the only good things about the NBA playoffs taking somewhere between six and eight months. <laughs> is that he should be able to have plenty of time for a full hamstring could have hamstring surgery and be able to come back and still catch the uh, conference finals. I, I will say they played, they played some games without him this year and they were just fine without Devin Booker. I think the Suns without Booker are still a better team than the Pelicans, but all of a sudden what looked like was going to be, you know, four, maybe at most a five game series is now looking like maybe six or seven. And with how old Chris Paul is, like those extra games, like those, those are important. Those take a toll on a guy that's getting up there in age like CP3 is. So I, I don't know, man, but that was, that was such a bummer. He daffed up a baby and then got hurt. <laughs> Come on, basketball gods. That's not how it's supposed to work. I also thought about going, have you watched Winning Time on HBO? I've I've seen just a couple of um like small portions of an episode or two. I haven't I haven't really sunk my teeth into it. I want to though. It looks it, just the small portions that I I saw looked really good. It's great. It's extremely entertaining. But Jerry West hates it. The I logo is not happy. I mean, he he's not happy at all and I understand why he's not happy because they basically have portrayed him as a belligerent, angry alcoholic in the show. Now, and, what's the big deal with that? What's the problem? And, and remember, this is one of the most respected players and executives in the history of the NBA. And according to ESPN, 
the logo, Jerry West. For all for those of you that don't know, Jerry West is the NBA logo. His legal team sent the uh, sent HBO in winning time a letter asking for a retraction and an apology. Uh, they also, I believe, are going to seek some compensation for damages. And the show is based off a book. And I guess there's just a bunch of, I haven't read the book, so I, I can't really speak on it. I just uh, kind of repeating what I read, but I guess there's a bunch of stuff in the show that didn't happen and certainly is not in the book that the show is based off. So yeah, I think HBO is going to have to, he's going to have to, they're going to have to pay Jerry West a little bit because he's big mad, Ted, big mad. Yeah. Hey, I understand that you want to liven things up for television a little bit. I think that's probably a pretty normal thing to do, but you know, you got to think about the person that you're trying to uh, liven up for the, the story a little bit here, or, or in this case, not liven up, but turn into a bad person or something like that's a guy that's like that's, drinking in his office and at practice. Yeah. That's a pretty important guy. Uh, I, I think that decision at HBO was probably not made by uh, sports people. Yeah, and there's a bunch of former players and like guys that were in the front office with Jerry West for that run with the Lakers that are like sending letters. Uh, this one guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> it's like they're all be like, "What? None of this happened. Like, what do you? But why'd you do this?" So, kind of a sticky situation. I will say this: very entertaining show, though. But my loser of the week, the San Francisco 49ers, because they've got a Debo Samuel problem, apparently. Now, remember, Debo Samuel was the second-round pick, right? So you don't have, you don't have the fifth-year option for second-rounders. That's only first-rounders in the NFL draft. Now, clearly, you redo that draft, Debo Samuel is gonna, should have been one of the top picks. Like, you know, that's hindsight. But... He's heading into the last year of his rookie deal, and he's seeing all these receivers get just ridiculous money, right? Devontae Adams with the Raiders, uh, Tyreek Hill with the Dolphins. Hell, even Christian Kirk, right? He got paid, and maybe that's what pushed Devo Samuel over the edge. But the price for top wide receivers in the NFL has, I mean, it's just skyrocketed. And there's no doubt, Debo Samuel is one of those guys. He, he's arguably the most explosive player in the NFL, right? With his size, speed, the versatility. Like, you would assume, hey, the price is the price for a guy like that. Well, Adam Schefter reported that Debo Samuel has put a halt to everything for now when it comes to contract negotiations with the 49ers. And then there are some other reports out there that he just wants to move on from San Francisco. So he isn't showing up to the offseason program. He took all the 49ers stuff off his social media pages, which I think it's been established now. That means something in today's NFL. I, I don't know if this ends up all getting worked out. And, you know, it just it, it ends up not being that big of a deal. But you look at this is a guy that had over 300 yards rushing last year, had over 1,400 yards receiving last year, scored 14 total touchdowns. 
I mean, maybe the most versatile offensive piece in the National Football League. You can't lose a guy like this if you're San Francisco. What what is happening? What what went wrong? Money. That's it. I he feels disrespected. I'm guessing by whatever contract extension conversation they've had or or haven't had. Maybe. Uh, yeah, dude. It's the numbers being thrown at wide receivers are crazy, and I, he is. He's really one of a kind in the NFL. Like he's he's physically strong and fast and just like a a dominating type of presence physically. Like you don't typically see that at wide receiver. And you mentioned they give him the ball out of the backfield and he had eight rushing touchdowns last year. Yeah, and almost all of them were just like wow type of runs. And you know they Offensive coordinator's gone. Maybe that has something to do with it. Like, he doesn't feel like he's going to be used the same way or or properly. I don't know, but my guess is in the end, the 49ers are going to break out the checkbook. You've really got no other option, right? Right, right. I, I've got a couple of, they're not really conspiracy theories, but I've got a, I, I've got two things that kind of popped into my head. Number one, he saw Devontae Adams and Tyree Kills deals right mm-hmm. what do what do those two organizations have in common there is no state income tax in florida and there's no state income tax in nevada and so maybe he saw a chart of like actual take-home pay and he was like dude i gotta get out of california i gotta get out of here california has like the highest state income tax in the country doesn't it it's, it's one insane. of the highest they have the millionaire tax there as well and I'm sure like, I don't know, I don't know what the San Francisco area is like, but some places add like municipality taxes as well. And huh, I, if that's the case, I can't blame him. You want to keep uh, right off of the top 10% more of your money. When, when you're talking about 80, hundred million dollars, that's substantial. Right, so maybe he saw that and he was like, yeah, I yeah, think I'm, I'm going to first force my way out of here. It can't get worse. Which, hey, maybe uh, I know some people don't like to think that it's all about money for NFL guys, but like that's, that's some serious cash that he's just going to be cutting a check to the government for instead of keeping. So yeah, that, is, that is a factor. And then the second thing, Jimmy G had the offseason surgery. I think it's pretty clear that you know, the, the 49ers intend to move him this offseason. I wonder if this is Debo Samuel going, hey man, Trey Lance sucks. I can't, I can't do it. Like I can't, I can't do this. I, yeah. I, I that may be an unfair assumption, but when I saw this, that was one of the things I was like, man, what does this say about Trey Lance? Like, right. I, I don't, I don't know. Cause if, if you're a star wide receiver like Debo Samuel is, and that he is. You mentioned it. Like he, he may be my, like, like on Sunday when I'm watching red zone, like I want to see every Debo Samuel snap. I want to see all of his touches because he's just so explosive and entertaining to watch. Like it's, he is, he's fantastic. If he doesn't feel like there's going to be a quarterback there that can get him the damn ball. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a reason to be like, not signing an extension, trade me, trade me. So 
And he may yeah. not like just another thing. They, they may not like each other. They may bump heads. You never know what happens in a locker room. Not everyone gets along. And if there's a guy that you bump heads with, that's about to be the starting quarterback. Well, that's not a good guy to bump heads with. And you can go keep 10% of your money more uh, somewhere else. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, but not great. Shanahan's got to be so pissed. Yeah, they, they had it rolling and things are, uh, things are changing for the 49ers. Yep. On that note, episode 207 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. We'll recap, re, recap. That's, that's, well, I guess depending uh, on yeah. how the spring game goes, that could I hope be we're not the proper word. The, the spring game. We, it's we could, possible though. We could recap it, but we'll see. Uh, just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from three to six on 94, seven, the ref. You can hear me from three to five on Sirius sex and big 12 radio channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the Oklahoma spring game. You better be there. People get there no matter what it takes. We appreciate y'all for listening and do what we always do. Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one.